Let's talk about joy and the fact that one of the reasons we don't have a lot of joy in our hearts sometimes is because we're just absolutely worn out. We are so very tired. You know, it seems like we don't have the energy to get all the things done that we need to get done. And and as you get older, you'll realize, uh, and those of you who are older already realize, that we just don't have the energy that we've always had, you know. Things take a little longer, it's a little harder, it's, it's a little more effort. And I worried about that until I read this article in a book. Charles Swindoll wrote it. I've, I've updated it just a little bit, um, but it explains it all. He says, yes, I'm tired. For several years, I've blamed it on middle age, iron, poor, tired blood, lack of vitamins, air pollution, water pollution, chemicals in our food. I've blamed it on obesity, dieting, underarm odor, yellow wax buildup, and any other malady that I've heard about on television that says that my life isn't worth living. But now I find out that's not so. What I found out is I am just plain overworked. You see, there are 319 million Americans in the United States. Of that, 82,000 of them are retired. That leaves 237 million to do the work. 80 million of those are students. That leaves 157 million to do the work. 38 million of those are federal, state, and local government employees. That leaves 119,000 to do the work. I didn't mean nothing by that, really. I didn't mean nothing by that. Of that 119 million that are left over, 108,000 are on benefits. That leaves 11 million to do the work. Two million men and women are in the armed forces. One million people are in the hospital on any given day. That leaves 8 million people to do the work. There are 7,999,998 people in prison. That leaves two people to do the work. And you're sitting there listening to me. (laughs) So you wonder why I'm tired. I thought that was cute. Comes from Chuck Swindoll. One of the things that robs us of our energy, one of the things that robs us from, from that vitality that we want to feel in life is our lack of joy. And there are hundreds and hundreds of joy stealers that are out there that are just ready and waiting, begging to take our joy away from us. It could be that pessimistic grouch you work with. It could be that dull job that you have to go to day in, day out. It could be your relatives. It could be your family. It could be some of the media programs you watch that are telling us that any minute, any time, the world is going to come to an end. It is easy to lose your joy, and it's very hard to get it back. If that sounds like you or somebody that you know that's just sick and tired of being sick and tired, I'm talking to you this morning. The word from Paul is speaking to us. We're going to look at a number of passages from the book of Philippians. We're going to start with Philippians 1.21. And what we're looking at is where can I find joy? Where should I look? Is it something magical that's going to fall out of the sky for me? Or is there something else? Where do I find my joy? Philippians 1.21 said, For me to live is Christ and to die is is gain. The first place we find joy is simply in living itself. 
is simply in living itself. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is in prison as he writes these words, and we tend to couch this verse in very somber, very proper kind of mood that we want to have. He's saying here that he'd be better off dead. Be better off dead because if I'm dead, I'm going to be living with Christ. And if I have to live, if I'm required to live, the New Century Version puts it like this. To me, the only important thing about living is Christ. Paul is saying that he wants to be Christ-like. To live his life like Christ lived his life. And this is the same hope and the same desire and the same dream that we say that we want, that we want to be Christ-like. We want to live our lives as Christ lived his. But now, you be frank and I'll be honest for just a second here. Is that what we really want? When we think about how Christ lived his life, most of us think that that is a joy stealer within itself. We have this notion that we've got to walk around all pious. Second time today I've done this. How about that? Walk around all pious with our hands clasped together and we have to smile all the time. That's one of the things that scared me to death in seminary. Probably told y'all that before. You'd walk up to people and say, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you. Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. And they're smiling. And I know that they're eating bologna and peanut butter every meal of every day. No, life is not fine. But they got, because that's how we're supposed to act. We're supposed to be that way. And when we think about Jesus, we're thinking Jesus is doing that too. He's walking around everywhere, doing his thing. And we think about the life that Jesus lived. He constantly, constantly had people following him around, trying to cause him trouble. Constantly. He traveled with a group of men. One of them was a traitor, and the rest of them were as dense as bricks. You've read, the, you've read the story of the Gospels. You've heard where Jesus was teaching the disciples. Sometimes you hear what he's teaching. It's as plain as day to us, and they're sitting there going, oh, get it. And Jesus has to say, look, guys, is it that hard? has to come back and explain it to them again. He didn't have a place to call his own. He didn't have a house. He didn't have a car. They didn't have cars then. He didn't have a donkey. He walked everywhere he went. I got to thinking about this while I was, while I was working on the sermon. All these pictures that we see Jesus traveling, you know, that people have drawn over the years of what they think Jesus looked like when he was doing all this. He's always wearing a robe, you know, and he's walking everywhere. Doesn't have a place to lay his head. He's not carrying a backpack. I wonder how many clothes did he have? as he went about his place. I had to go into my closet the other day, and, and this is an embarrassment, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is not a man thing to say. I had to go in my closet and sort out my shoes. I know it's a girl thing. But you know, and I only wear, the, the killer is, is I only wear, I've got like four pair of shoes that I wear. But I've got all of these shoes in there for different things, you know. But I had to go in and clean. Jesus didn't have all of that. He always had to give and give and give. And he had to abandon anything in life that could bring any joy at all in the context of how we see having joy. And that's all true. He did all of those things. We can read it in the scripture. Don't make that up. There it is. But I want to read between the lines a little bit. 
when we think about the things he did and he's giving and all the things that were going on around him, I want to read between the lines just a little bit. Let's think about when Jesus healed that lame beggar in the temple. And that beggar jumped up and started dancing up and down the aisles and praising God in that prim and proper sanctuary, that prim and proper synagogue, don't you think Jesus might have received just a little bit of satisfaction out of seeing the happiness of that man? You've done something for somebody and watched it really make them feel good, and you get that little warm fuzzy inside, you know? You reckon Jesus felt that? Don't you think Jesus felt good about the people being amazed? Because this man's praising God, saying that he was healed through Jesus, which is what the message is we want to get out to the world, that Jesus is the one that saves us. Don't you think Jesus got a little thrill out of that? And don't you think Jesus got a little chuckle? Maybe he didn't. Maybe it's just me. Maybe he don't operate that way. But I just have this image of, of, of this beggar that was healed and he's running up and down the aisles. He's done gone Pentecostal on these people in what's a Presbyterian church. You know, God's frozen chosen. And here he is. He's in... I'm, I'm, if you're Presbyterian, I'm sorry, but you know, I've gone to your church. I know how it works. And here this guy is in this synagogue where everybody's got to act, you know, because we're in the synagogue. And here this dude is running up and down the aisles. Hallelujah! And I bet Jesus is leaning back a little bit going, yeah, that's cool. I bet he did. What about when Jesus walked on the sea? I want you to think about when Jesus walked on the sea for just a minute. He's walking across something. Of course, none of us could do. Nobody else can do. He's walking across something that he created. Scripture says that in the beginning, Jesus was there and Jesus created all things. Him and God right there. Holy Spirit, tight, just like this. Created everything that is. And he's seen it from above. And he's seen it because he is omnipresent. But now through the eyes of a man... He sees the creation that's around him. Do you reckon he sort of leaned back a little bit as he's walking going, you know what, I knew this was cool, but this is really cool. This is really, I like this. Man, we did good. We did real good. What about when Jesus healed the garrison demoniac, the guy that could wear no clothes, that screamed uh, insults and profanities at people and people were scared to death of and Jesus cast that demon out and the guy came up to him in his right mind wearing clothes and said Jesus I want to go everywhere you go I want to do everything you do I want to tell everybody what you've done for me how do you think Jesus felt in that moment how do you think Jesus felt how do you think Jesus felt when that demoniac who had cut himself and the, and the spirit had cast him on the ground and Jesus saw the guy walk up to him and he's never going to do that again. This guy's whole. His life is changed. Do you understand what God did in that moment? He changed that guy's life who could never be with people, who couldn't have a friend, a wife, couldn't have anything. And now Jesus has healed him so that he could be just like you or me. Anybody can go anywhere. He can go to Ingalls and buy something. Instead of people screaming out in the streets, he can just walk in. Do you reckon Jesus felt anything or you thought he said, well, that's one more, let's go. 
Think of the joy that Jesus felt. How do you think Jesus felt when that one leper returned? Y'all remember that story, 10 lepers? Heal us, Jesus, heal us, Jesus. He said, go show yourself to the temple. They all go running off, and as they run off, they're healed. But one of them turns around and comes back to Jesus, taking a chance that he won't be healed because Jesus said, you go to the temple and show yourself. But the guy was so overcome with gratitude for what Jesus had done, he comes back and falls at Jesus' knees. How do you think Jesus felt that minute? In Jesus' worst hour, when he's hanging on the cross, he's been beaten, he's bleeding, he's got a crown of thorns stuck into his head. He's hanging on the cross. How do you think he felt in that moment when that other person being crucified beside him says, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Do you reckon hanging there on the cross, he thought, as horrible as that moment was, he thought, this was right. This is good. Do you reckon he had any joy in those moments? When we follow Jesus, when our desire is to be like Jesus, we have to remember that even though Jesus did things that we think might not have been so fun, when he took up his cross, it was a joyful journey. Getting a way back machine for just a second. Some of you my age will remember this, and the older guys, you young guys, YouTube Mac Davis, Stop and Smell the Roses. Look it up. That's a song. You got to stop and smell the roses. Remember that? You got to count your many blessings every day. This line is the one that always stuck out in my head. You're going to find your. Oh, I want to sing it. <laughs> I won't. You're welcome. You've got to, you're going to find your way to heaven is a rough and rocky road. You have to stop and smell the roses along the way. Now, I know stop and smell the roses is, a, is, a, is just a trite cliche, but to be Christ-like means that we pause and we look around ourselves and we take joy in life. We get so busy and there's so many things to do and we're, we're getting the kids ready for bed and we're getting people fed and we're doing homework and I've got this little thing left from work that I've got to do today and I've got to get my clothes ready for tomorrow and my husband's just coming in from work or my wife's just coming in and it's 11 o'clock and it's time for bed and we're just going a thousand miles an hour and we don't stop to see that cute little baby bottom as it goes walking across the floor. You walked out of the room before I got a chance to dry them off good and realize how beautiful and wonderful our life is that God's given us. Our lives are beautiful. There's a lot of ugly things out there but God created a world of beauty and love and joy and happiness for each one of us to enjoy. Pastor, you don't understand the hell I'm going through in my life. I bet you I can come close to some of you. And I can tell you that in the worst moment of your worst day, that God is still in that somewhere. And if we'll stop and look for him, we'll find him. Because he wants to be found. First place we find joy is in just loving life. Just loving life. Could get off, I hadn't thought about that until right this minute, but so many times 
we've, we've, we've talked about the flesh and earthly things so much that we, we sort of put this bad image of, no, what God's talking about when he talks about flesh and earthly things are those things that draw us away from him. He's not saying don't enjoy the world that he created for us. He's not telling us that flesh is bad. That's something that came out of Greek philosophy. He created us, and he created a good creation. Love it. Enjoy it. Be happy for what he's done. Let it give you joy. Second place we can find joy is in service. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus was the ultimate servant. For him, service included things as lowly as washing people's feet because nobody else would do it, and as lofty as raising a widow's son from the dead. It's hard for us, though, now to be in service to other people. Our society has changed. Number one, we're very, very busy. And number two, we're, we're a lot more wealthy than we used to be, and we don't have as much need that we see of helping people. Back in the 30s and 40s, long time ago, different century as a matter of fact, way on back, I was talking to some folks one time that lived back in those days, young people. They talked about going to church on Sunday morning. They lived out in the country, didn't have a whole lot of automobiles yet. They had a hay cart that on Sunday morning after they got dressed, the boys would go out, they would hitch the hay cart up to a mule, and then they would head to church. And people along the way knew that they would be going to church, and so they'd come out, and everybody that came out was welcome to get on the hay cart. And that's what they did. And they just collected people as they went to church. And then when they went home, as they left home, the bus just dropped them off as it went. I sort of feel sorry for the mule. I have this picture of 35 people on this hay cart and one little mule going, what is going on with these people? Get me to that church. We don't think that way anymore. When we're ready to go to church now, we're ready to go to church. Everybody's got a car. And off we go. Nobody really needs to be picked up. And when they do, it's sort of an inconvenience because we're in a hurry. We waited until the last minute. We've got to go. We've got to get our thing done. We've been taught in recent years that it's weak to ask for help and that it's weak to need help. But that's not even close to the truth. And even if it was close to the truth, that wouldn't remove the joy that we get from helping people, from selfless service. Selfless service. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody who keeps the nursery, not because they want to not be in the sanctuary, but because they love kids. I mean, there's two reasons to, you know, you be frank and I'll be honest here, right? There's two reasons to be in another place other than the sanctuary. Either you love service somewhere else or you just don't want to be in here. I got it. I understand. I'm talking about the folks that, that want to do the nursery because they love to hold those babies. And they love for those babies to feel the Jesus coming out through their arms. Tell me the joy those people feel. Talk to somebody who does Awana 
not because they want to miss prayer meeting, which I can understand why they might. Sometimes the guy that teaches that thing is dull as dirt and he, he bores me. I'm the teacher, don't get offended. I can understand why they might want to sometimes, but I'm talking about the people that go to do Awana because they want, they love those kids and they want to see those kids grow up with something to hang on to. They want those kids to grow up with Christ. They want those kids to grow up and have their lives changed so that when they get older, they've got that thing to hang on to that they need to hang on to. Talk to the folks that go to the nursing homes, not because they feel obligated to go to the nursing home, but because they feel like they're needed there and they get such joy out of seeing the joy of these people when they come. I, I looked up and I saw, and he's going to be mad at me probably for saying something, but I saw Mr. Wesley thinking about him going to the jail. Nobody holds a gun on him to go to the jail. He goes to jail because that's what God's called him to do. And the joy that he feels when he has somebody there respond to the call of Christ. In the middle of these guys who we don't want to come to church. They're scary people. And yet God sends somebody in there because he gets joy out of seeing what Christ does in that group. Talk to anybody who does what they do, not because they're commanded or they feel like they ought to, but they do it because they're in love with Christ, they're in love with those people, and they just want to do it. Talk to those people and see the joy that they feel and be one of those people. When you fall in love with something, minister to it and watch Christ work through you. Joy is also to be found in submission. Philippians 3, 3 through 9 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrews a Hebrew, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost, as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. If anybody had a right to boast about how good they were, it was Paul. Paul was the churchman's churchman. If it could be done, Paul had done it. He had done it better than anybody else. Paul worked hard before he met Christ to be the best person he possibly could. And I wonder how many of us, after becoming a Christian, have had our joy stolen because we have worked so hard to be the best person that we possibly, possibly could be. We wanted to keep all the rules to make sure that we did it right. Do you want to know what the secret of joy in Christ is? Look at verses 8 and 9 again. It says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You can restate that part about righteousness alone that comes to the law. You can restate it to this, not having a righteousness, righteousness of my own that comes from doing all the right things, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The key to joy in Christ is not to be able to lay our heads down on our pillows at night and went, you know what? I did it all right today. Everything I did, I did right. I didn't sin one time. I didn't say a bad word. I didn't think a bad thought. I didn't do anything today that I wasn't supposed to do. I did godly things. I helped somebody. Whew, today was a good day. I lived a perfect day. We don't have to go to bed doing that. Our joy is being in Christ it is simply as being adopted into the family of God and being accepted as his child. That's what makes service joyful. I'm not doing it because I'm guilty. I'm doing, not doing it because I ought to do it. I'm doing it because that's who I am. It just comes out of me. I can't stop it. That's what makes living joyful. It's not just admiring the beauty of the world. I'm involved in the life that my Father in heaven created himself. <clears throat> When we change our focus from doing the right things to being Christ-like, we open a door called freedom. When we quit trying to be the best that we can absolutely be. And just let God make us into his best. When we quit having competition with people. And we think, I was thinking when I was putting this together, and I wasn't going to say it, but I'll just say it now anyway. When I was a kid, a long time ago, in a land far, far away, we lived in probably a lower middle class neighborhood. Middle class, but on the bottom rung of the ladder. Everybody in the neighborhood had two or three kids. Everybody in the neighborhood had usually two to three bedrooms, one bathroom, somewhere around 1,250 square feet in the house. If you had two bathrooms in your house, you were somebody. How many of you can remember? How much longer are you going to be in there? You've been in there 10 minutes. How much longer? Getting ready for church. There's four of us. How many of you remember that kind of stuff? That's what we had back then. I had a friend who was retiring several years back that they were going to build their retirement home, something smaller, so that her and her husband, got that? Two. Her and her husband could have, and the kids could come every now and then and visit. You know what? How often do your kids come and visit? Twice a year, maybe? <laughs> oh, I heard, hmm, okay. <laughs> every other year? <laughs> And they figured that they needed 7,500 square feet in their house to do that. Now, some of you may have a 7,500 square foot house. God bless you that you've got the resources to do that. But I'm telling you, to build you a new house at retirement for two people to live in with 7,500 square feet, I would counsel you to rethink that. But my point is this, not giving you housing advice maybe I'm not in competition with you 
But the generation started here and went to 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 here until now we've got to be here to do things. And to be here to do things means that we've got to do all of this other stuff to support this here to do things. Do you really need the, the, the here to do things? Do you? Do you really, really need those things? Or is it just keeping up with the lifestyle that we're supposed to live now? Those things steal our joy. They take it away from us. We want to do things that God lays in our path that can cause us to experience joy. And not only joy, but look at the last verse right quick. Philippians 2, three through, uh, chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. When we focus on being then Christ will use the power that enables him to bring everything under his control and he will use it to transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious bodies. In other words, when we realize that we can't be in control of everything, no matter what those things are, no matter how hard we try, when we let God be God, we get some of our joy back. When we know and understand that he's got it, he's taking care of it. Philippians was a letter written by a man who was in prison. He knew he was going to be in that prison for a long, long time. And even though he was in that prison in bondage, he was the freest man on earth. His joy was rooted where our joy, our joy, needs to be rooted. Paul says, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Forgetting what is behind. Now listen to me. I got junk in my background. I could have said that a little more better. Let me try that. I have things in my background that are horrible. Decisions that I've made that were as stupid as any one human being could ever make in their life. I remember a night at Mercer University after I broke up with my girlfriend at that time who was not my lovely bride banging my head on the wall of the gym because I can't believe I did this to start with. Forgetting what is behind. What have you got in the past that's hanging on to you that every time you turn around it feels like somebody's bringing it up, somebody's saying something that you feel guilty about? He is saying, listen, you are washed by the blood of Christ. Those sins are forgiven, forgetting what is behind you. Today's a new day. Today's a new start. This moment's a new start. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind. Yesterday's dead and gone. You can't change it. I don't care how much you want to change it, how much you wish you could change it, how much you wish you had never said what you said. You said it. The words are in the air. They can never be recalled. Get over it. Let it go. Paul says, listen, I'm going to keep on doing the very best I can until God calls me home to heaven. 
Until then, my God will meet all of my needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He is the creator of everything. He owns everything. He can handle you. That's what he's telling us. Do you want joy? If you want joy, Jesus is where you find it. Don't try to imitate him. Don't try to chase after some elusive picture that you or somebody else has painted in your mind of, of who he is and what he does. He didn't walk around like this. He walked around like me and you. And he touched people every day. Turn to Jesus. Tell him that you want the joy that he had in his heart and let him lead you to it. It's easier than we think. It takes some guts. Sometimes you have to push some stuff away. But he'll take you there. And Father, I thank you this morning that, that you've given us these words to hear. I thank you, Father, for Paul that while he was in prison, he experienced a freedom unlike freedom we know. And I pray, Father, for us that as we're so wrapped up in all of the things that steal our joy, that somewhere, if you have to make us sick to do it, you stop us long enough that we can hear your voice and get a reminder of what it is that makes life worth living. I trust you, Father. You are a good God who created a good creation. You want to make us all good again. I trust you. Help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.